<clears throat> Brother Scott Cram will address us th- tonight. I don't have any uh, reading for him, and his title is The Sure Word of Prophecy. Brother Scott. This on? Okay. Well, I'm ready. A good evening to everyone. You know, absent our Lord's return, one can hardly imagine a nicer place to be with uh, the creation, the beauty of the creation around us, the wonderful temperature that we're enjoying. The fellowship that we have with one another, uh, this is truly an example of what we pray and hope for, that thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Well, the subject this evening, a sure word of prophecy, uh, is probably the reason that we're all here. If it weren't for the sure word of prophecy... Uh, I would imagine uh, we would all be somewhere else this evening. But we have that sure word of prophecy and and it is something that our pioneers uh, were able to articulate in a very cohesive way and it's something that's brought us together and that we are certainly blessed that Yahweh blessed them. So I'd like to begin this morning or this evening, by uh, uh, having you open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, please. Let's turn to the twelfth chapter, beginning at the first verse. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, and many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. In these four verses, brothers and sisters, we have expressed that great hope which those of us gathered here share. The confidence of our returning Messiah that He will deliver a people, a people that have overcome and have remained faithful until the end. That with that glorification of this multitudinous people, that they will shine as the brightness of the firmament in that kingdom that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now what Daniel saw in vision, he did not utter. But rather, he sealed the record of it in a book that was not to be opened until the time of the end. The intervening period from Daniel to this time of the end would occasion the search for the understanding of Daniel's vision. Many generations have endeavored to search out the sense of these sealed words. With gradual success, a partial understanding of Daniel's meaning would be developed. Though the full meaning would not be known until the time of the end when the seal of the book would be broken. Now, following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the end of the Mosaic era, 
and the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans in 70 A.D. The Apostle John received a revelation. The understanding that Daniel's sealed book had begun to be opened by the Michael of the situation. Jesus, the anointed son of Yahweh. John records this in the fifth chapter of the Apocalypse, which if you would open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on a throne, on the throne, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And on one of, and one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four living ones, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living ones and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Those who Daniel saw raised to everlasting life and who shone as the brightness of the firmament were those that the Lamb slain had made kings and priests unto Yahweh, and they would reign in the future millennial kingdom forever. On this point, Brother Mansfield comments, and I quote, The two advents of Christ are elements to that end, and both involve the time of the end. His first advent was the initial stage of Yahweh's victory over flesh. And, after the completion of the 490 years prophecy, the mystery was revealed. Although it is not comprehended in all its detail, at the second advent, the full glory of the prophecy will be uncovered and the books fully unsealed. End of quote. These words of prophecy, some fulfilled and some not, are also a reason why we are sitting here together. In the second, in Second Peter, the first chapter, Peter records for us, beginning in verse 19 of that first chapter, Second Peter 1.19, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, that light that shines in a dark place, illuminates for the believer a pathway of hope 
and reassurance of what lies ahead. And more specifically, the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus as Messiah became a bright light that was cast in the darkened Jewish nation. And secondly, a bright light which became a radiant light to the darkness that shrouded the Gentiles. The scripture reveals in Psalm 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And also in Proverbs, we read, The commandments of God is a lamp and his law is light. Proverbs 6.23 Yahweh is the source of light. And the gospel of the kingdom in the name of Jesus is that light. Yahweh is the source of light. The gospel of the kingdom in the name of Jesus is that light. Jesus the anointed is the medium through which it shines. And he is correctly called the Son, S-U-N, Son of Righteousness. In John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light, the life, the light of life. Now, in considering these words in Second Peter, Brother Thomas commented in an article in 1852 where he said, The gospel is a great prophecy of what God intends to do. And they who intelligently believe it know beforehand what is to be done. They know beforehand what is to be done. The little that has been fulfilled in Jesus is an, is an assurance to the believer that what remains will certainly be accomplished. Understanding the message previously sealed and now beaming as a light unto us Gentiles in this world, we have at our disposal a road map, if you will, of the prophetic unfolding of Yahweh's plan to restore Eden. Now, road maps are for finding our way when the route or the terrain from our present location to where we hope to attain is either unknown or uncertain to us. As we journey, there are signposts along the way which confirm we are on the right track to reach our destination. And such it is with prophecy. The signposts of Yahweh are placed there for believers. Prophecy is given to believers, not to unbelievers. In 1 Corinthians 14.22, the last part of that verse reads, Prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Prophecy serveth for, not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, why? Why is that the case? It seems like it almost should be the opposite. Well, the reason is clear because it builds faith on faith. Since January of this year, we have seen an ever-increasing number of signposts and at an ever-increasing frequency. Are we watching? We sit here today and consider the world around us. We see a world in turmoil, financial distress, natural disasters, upheaval of national governments, all in motion throughout the globe. The maturation of this turmoil will be the introduction of the kingdom of God. Daniel, in interpreting the night vision of Nebuchadnezzar, 
answered the king and said, beginning at Daniel 2 and 20, Blessed be the name of Eloah forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, and removeth kings, and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwell within him. The world movements that we are witnessing today are shaping the course of events, leading to the consummation predetermined from the foundation of the world. We learn from the writings of Amos, Amos 3 and 7, that surely Adonai Yahweh will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophet. Addressing this passage from Amos, Brother Thomas has the following comments. This revelation, he's speaking of that to Amos that we just read, is made that his people's faith may be confirmed and enlarged, and that in every generation they may know the times and seasons to which they stand related, knowing the signs they are enabled to discern the times. And while consternation and dismay cause men's hearts to fail, they are courageous and rejoice in perceiving the approach of the kingdom of God. And he concludes, this is the proper use of the prophetic word. This is the proper use of the prophetic word. That's quoted from Elpis Israel. If it were not for this prophetic word, we as heirs to the kingdom would be in utter darkness. But the sure word of prophecy is itself a shining light. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is our duty and our privilege to make ourselves acquainted with prophecy so that our faith may grow and be strengthened. A right understanding of prophecy enables us to detach our emotions from the tumultuous present and to fix our eyes and mind on the things to come in order that we might keep our garments unsoiled. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Revelation 16:15. Turning our thoughts to Israel. Israel is presently in the segment of time that leads to the time of trouble spoken of by Daniel in 12:1 which we read earlier. She is probably our most visible signpost today. She is increasingly despised and afflicted by the world. Isaiah helps us understand this when speaking of the days following Israel's vindication, he says in Isaiah 60, verse 14, The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despised thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. In that victorious day, Yahweh, Isaiah's words are reflective of those who in former times both afflicted Israel and despised Israel, but now recognize the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And likewise, Ezekiel tells us the nations round about Israel will be as a prickling briar toward Israel up until that great day of Yahweh. 
Ezekiel 38 and 24. And there shall be no more a prickling briar unto the house of Israel, nor any grieving thorn of all that are round about them, that despised them, and they shall know that I am Adonai Yahweh. For about 120 years now, we have witnessed a progressive regathering of Israel. Yahweh promised that one day He would cause the children of Israel to return back to their land from among the nations around the world. And that this would be accomplished in the latter years. Jeremiah thirty-two thirty-seven. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again into this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. However, they are returning in unbelief like their forefathers. An unbelief of what? That Jesus was and is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the messenger of the truth. Zechariah 13 and 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. This so-called house of my friends is where they said, Away with him, crucify him. In John 19.15, But they cried out, Away with him and crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Paul, speaking of this situation, records of the Jews in Romans in the 11th chapter, verses 25 and 6, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob." God warns that He is not regathering the children of Israel into their land because they deserve it, but because if they were not regathered, His name and His word would be blasphemed. He has promised that they are and remain His chosen people and that the earth will be filled with Yahweh's glory manifested through the kingdom of Christ and of God. Affirming this, we read in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 19, And I will scatter them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And skipping to the 21st verse, But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus say Adonai Yahweh, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am Yahweh, saith Adonai Yahweh, when I shall sanctify, be sanctified in you before their eyes. The Bible says all nations of the world will turn against Israel. 
Zechariah 12, 2 and 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Not one nation is going to stand successfully against Yahweh. Israel standing alone in this time of trouble, as Daniel records in 12.1, sets the stage for Israel's deliverance by Messiah, Jesus, and his multitude. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. We are witnesses today of this great latter-day event. In the context of the subject of this evening's talk, the sure word of prophecy, we must ask ourselves the question, how are we to react as eyewitnesses to this approaching end of the sixth vial? The answer to that, I would like to return to an earlier quote that we took from Alpus Israel and finish with this evening's talk on two points gleaned from the quote. And I'll restate it. This revelation, remember it's speaking of that comment that we, the scripture that we read, Amos 3.7, Surely Adonai Yahweh will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. That this revelation is made that his people's faith may be confirmed and enlarged. That in every generation they may know the times and seasons to which they stand related. Knowing the signs, they are enabled to discern the times. And while consternation and dismay may cause men's hearts to fail, speaking of just the general public, they, being those believers, are courageous and rejoice in perceiving the approach of the kingdom of God. This is the proper use of the prophetic word. Now the key points here for the proper use of the prophetic word are described by Brother Thomas as that his people's faith may be, one, confirmed, and two, enlarged. Faith confirmed that in every generation they know the signs and are enabled to discern the times and seasons to which they stand. Faith enlarged that the believers are courageous and rejoice in perceiving the approach of the kingdom of God. For Jesus was taken up from, the Mount, from Mount Olivet and a cloud received him so that he could no longer be seen said in response to a question asked by the apostles, which we read in Acts 1.6, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? His answer in the following verse, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. This put an end to the thought that the kingdom should immediately appear. But it would have in its place introduced the anxiety of when. It would be answered some 60 years later with the revelation to John. This book, the Apocalypse, is also the study of our several classes these few days. History has afforded us many signposts, some very subtle and some very pronounced. The cry of the watchman can only be heard by those who are alert and awaiting the alarm, else the alarm goes unrecognized and unheeded. 
Thus, by knowing the signs, we are enabled to discern the times. Since the glorification of Jesus, there have been many generations before us who, for the hope set before them, understood that the time was far distant to their own lives when Jesus would return. Yet, but as Brother Thomas summarizes, they knew the times and seasons to which they stood related. This was possible because of the articulation of the great metallic image and later the analogy of the four beast kingdoms of Daniel. Following this, approximately 650 years later, the Apocalypse provided greater detailing of that fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. Now, Brother Thomas covers these early believers in Eureka in the fourth volume of the Logos edition where he comments on the remnant of the woman's seed over a thousand year period beginning <clears throat> 150 years after John's revelation. And this is what he has to say. Thus, I have briefly tracked the remnants of the woman's seed under the names of the Novatians, the Donatists, the Arians, the Paulicians, the Albigenses, through a long and sanguinary period of sackcloth witnessing of a thousand years against the apostasy as by law established in the two wings of the great eagle. In this weary and heart-rending journey, we have visited the Rome of Africa, Armenia, Asia Minor, Thrace, Bulgaria, and working our way up the Danube, crossed the Alps into Italy and France. Now, summation is revealing as to their martyrdom and the witnessing some acting as the witness of Revelation 11.3, and some as the remnant who have the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 12 and 17. We consider for just a moment, I'm going to walk through the list of those uh, peoples that I mentioned, just to give you an idea of those that have gone before. The Novatians, which had a beginning about 251 A.D. and lasted until about 400 A.D., were in Italy. And they allied themselves with the doctrines of Novation, the first Roman theologian who used the Latin language. They were also called Puritans, and that's not to be confused with the Puritans of the last 400 years. And the reason that they were called Puritans is that it reflected their desire to not be identified with the practices of the corrupt Catholic Church, not to be associated with those practices. The Donatists occurred about at the same time, 279, but they lasted longer to about 600 591 to be precise. And they were a little south. They were in North Africa, Tunisia and Algeria in today's geography. And the bishop Donatus Magnus is where they drew their name from. And Donatism was an indirect outcome of the Emperor Diocletian's persecutions. And the Donatists held that the Roman Catholic Church was in error on, allow, on allowing sinning priests to continue to, continue to practice. And the Donatists, through what they described as peasant warriors, which were called the Circumcilians, 
They robbed from the Roman Catholic Church, from the rich, and distributed the goods to the poor, who in their view were those working servants upon whom the backs of these goods had been gotten by the Roman Catholic Church. They were banished by Constantine and fled into the wilderness, as we read in Revelation 12 and 6. The Armenians followed, 355 to 400, a very short duration. They were in South Turkey. Taught that the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church were in opposition to those of the truth. But the sect died out, as I said, fairly quickly. The Paulicians then arose. 660 to 1204, at a much longer duration. And they were in Armenia as well, in South Turkey. And Thrace, which in today's geography would be southern Bulgaria, northern Turkey, and eastern Greece. And they focused on the four Gospels and the letters of Paul, from which their name was derived. And austerity and knowledge were their tenets. The Leonists, Leonists, uh, from uh, 11, uh, let's see, they would be about 1100 to maybe uh, the middle of the uh, 13th century. And they were in France. And they were led by a guy by the name of Peter Waldo of Lyon. So they were in France. And his teachings were based on the idea of simplicity and poverty, notably that no man can serve two masters, God and mammon. And he viewed the Roman Catholic Church as serving mammon. They issued strong condemnations of papal excess and Catholic dogmas, including purgatory and transubstantiation, while accusing the Roman Catholics of being a harlot from the book of Revelation, gave rise to two later groups that we will discuss, the Albigenses and the Waldenses. The Waldenses followed about 1177 to 1532, and they were in northwestern Italy and Europe. And they continue, to some extent, even to this day. And the Albigenses, Albigenses from about 1000 to 1330. And they were in southern France. And they had their roots in the Paulician and the Leonist movements. And they were annihilated in 1330 by a Roman Catholic uh, edict, the Albigense Crusade, it was called, from 1209 to 1229. And the Inquisition followed that after they were annihilated. Now with this history, these thousand years that Brother Thomas had covered, we have the witness and the believers from almost the time of John the Baptist to now, say, the 1300s. And those who have read Brother Alan Ayer's book on the protesters and the brethren in Christ, that's where his book picks up or his two books, pick up. And they take us through many faithful believers and their trials as a remnant of those who have kept the testimony of Jesus. So the Word has lived over the centuries by the hand of the Spirit. It is a precious thing we have today preserved through much spilt blood. What of faith enlarged? Brother Thomas says that they are courageous and rejoice in perceiving the approach of the kingdom of God. This is faith enlarged. The exhortation to us is a simple one. It's watch. Let the events of today enlarge and build our faith. Prophecy and its fulfillment is faith building. In Hebrews 11, the first three verses, 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the words were framed by God, were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The evidence of things not seen. Israel is the evidence of Yahweh's hand acting in the world, a hand not seen, yet producing visible results. The world turmoil around us is an additional evidence of Yahweh's hand acting in the world to bring about the substance of things hoped for. The glorification of Yahweh through the establishment of His kingdom under the rulership of His Son and the redeemed. And how is this going to happen? By the shaking of the political heavens and the literal earth. Reading from Joel 3, verse 16. And Yahweh also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But Yahweh will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. Brothers and sisters, we can be those people. Soon it will be by the actions of His apocalypsed Son leading an army of glorified saints in the victory over the darkness of the kingdoms of men and the false prophet. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2 and 14. The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. We have before us one answer to that appeal. Just look around at the evidence of things not seen. We have the occasion to strengthen our faith and to obtain a good report. And this is my exhortation this evening. To see current world events as the progression of Yahweh's holy word spoken by his prophets. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Advancing these words 2,000 years to our day, we might say that these last days he has spoken unto us by his visible actions, his signposts. There's yet another aspect found in the meaning of the sure word of prophecy that I would like to consider now. The title of this talk, as you know, is taken from 2 Peter 1.19. And upon close examination of these words, we find a strong link to Paul's resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. So let us see why. The emphatic diaglot introduces a parenthetical consideration not found in most translations. And it reads, this is from the Diaglot, and we have the prophetic word more confirmed to which ye do well taking heed, and now we have an open parenthesis, as to a lamp shining in a dark place till the day dawn and the light bringer may arise. And then a close parenthesis, in your hearts. Now, if we read this with that parenthetical removed, the verse, 2 Peter 1.19 reads, We have the prophetic word more confirmed to which you do well, taking heed in your hearts. We recognize the prophetic word of Yahweh has been likened to a lamp giving light in this dark and perverse world. And that Jesus is that light bringer who, having ascended to the right hand of Yahweh, will again return and with him the dawn of a new millennial day commences. 
Until He returns, we have the prophetic word to guide us to be a lamp unto our feet, our signposts. But we can derive additional message from the strength uh, of the initial phrase in this verse. Because if we look at other versions, as I said, the diaglot has it, we have the prophetic word more confirmed. The New American Standard, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. The Revised Version, and we have the word of prophecy made more sure. And the Complete Jewish Bible, we have the prophetic word made very certain. We ask ourselves, in what sense was the prophetic word, or has the prophetic word been confirmed, made more sure, or made very certain? Our answer must be, by the resurrection of Jesus, the anointed. And in the words of Paul, uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The use of confirmed or sure by Peter helps us understand what he is expressing. That the offering of Jesus confirmed or made sure the prophetic covenant given to Abraham and David. Romans 15 and 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Just as we have seen how the witnesses of Israel's regathering as an example of confirming or making more sure the word of prophecy, likewise the resurrection of Jesus is the key pivotal point which enables those great and precious promises which we hold as the foundation of our Christadelphian beliefs to both confirm and enlarge our faith. Our faith being confirmed, Peter rightly admonishes us that we should let these visible signposts enlarge our faith when he concludes, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed in your hearts. This is where the prophetic word should lodge and have its effect, is in our hearts. By thine heart unto instruction, and thine ears unto the words of knowledge. For it is the God who once said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has made his light shine in our hearts. The light of knowledge of God's glory shining in the face of Messiah Yeshua, the complete Jewish version uh, by a reading of 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Now let us, let us revisit that parenthetical phrase that was introduced by the diaglot. And what that phrase is, would read, as to a lamp shining in a dark place till the day dawn and the light bringer may arise. Now, the King James Version would have that as, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise. Now, considering this phrase, what is it telling us? Peter declares that we are awaiting the time when the day star shall arise. In other words, the time of Christ's second coming. Not the time that Christ would rise in our hearts, as the King James Version rendering might lead one to believe. But rather, this takes us back to my opening remarks about the word and Jesus being our light. 
providing us with the signposts to understand the prophetic word which confirms and enlarges our faith. In a dark place, the Old Testament prophecies tell us of a time of spiritual drought. Paul also tells us in our day, in Acts 20 and 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The New Testament prophecy tells us of a time when that drought will cease forever. We read of Holy Jerusalem in the Apocalypse 21, 23 through 25, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Day star is to arise, the Diaglot's version, the light bringer. And this is taken from Revelation 22 and 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the ecclesias. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now, in the natural world, the morning star is the last star to remain in the sky before the full brilliance of the sun is seen. And isn't this a fitting way to think of that transition to the kingdom of God that the last star seen is Christ and it only fades in the full brilliance of Yahweh. Closing, as the Gogian Confederacy begins to assemble, and as our brother spoke to us earlier today about the frog spirits again manifesting themselves, we see that Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, Togarma, the new millennial day is fast upon us. And with the sure word of prophecy, our faith is confirmed and enlarged through our knowledge of it. The resurrection of Jesus and the things concerning His name and the signposts of the coming kingdom of God on earth and the things attendant thereto.